Welcome to the Francisca Show podcast, a part of JewishCoffeeHouse.com. The show on where I give a voice to Jewish issues, topics, and people. I'm Francisca, your host. Welcome, welcome to the Francisca Show podcast. I hope you had a meaningful Rosh Hashanah and New Year. So before we start, I'd like to ask you a question. Have you ever had any physical symptoms or any physical reactions that your body had that doctors just simply could not help you with? I interviewed Irene Lyon a few months ago about how our experiences program us and as humans, and then later govern our bodies when it comes to processing pain in the future or reacting at all. I thought it would be a good episode to release during a time that's super busy and for all of those who appreciate learning from experts about things that affect us on a subconscious level. Another reason I thought this episode would be great for a time like now, a time of reflection, a time of new beginnings with the new year and where we can really zero in on our behaviors, on our parenting styles, relationships, and see what we can do, how that falls into our fight, flight, and freeze concepts. How many of us get anxiety before spending the Chagim with family members? Have you ever gone to therapy just to prepare for these dynamics or to recover after the Chagim? One last reason this episode can give a little more understanding to all of you who do not understand the freeze reaction. I have heard from some of you over the years, specifically in regards to the No More Silence episodes, asking me how can abuse happen where the victim just seems to take it? Why not fight back? Even though this episode is not explicit and we do not touch upon abuse specifically, Irene beautifully explains how freeze works. Also, if you are a parent and want to learn all about the ways you might be messing up your kids, go right ahead. Just kidding. Even though Irene did debunk some ideas I thought were great, like letting your kids cry themselves to bed, I'm not sure I still agree with her fully, but it's definitely worth a listen. Just before we start, I'd like to thank you again for referring clients to my podcast production and consulting business. This is truly how you support my work and the show. And make sure to stick around until the end to hear all about future episodes that are in the works and how you can help. Today on the show, we have with us Irene Lyon, who lives all the way in Vancouver and is joining us today. She has a master's of science and is a nervous system expert. Welcome to the show, Irene. Thanks, Francisca. Great to meet you and be here. Tell us a little bit about the work you do. How does the nervous system work? I know you are very experienced in trauma and there is a lot you have to add on the parenting aspect as well because we have the influence as mothers and parents to really program our children in the healthy way we'd like them to deal with trauma. So the floor is yours. You're right about how we influence little humans. One of the things to understand, so I'll start more with the biology and then we'll go from there, is human beings, we are mammals, right? We're, we're, we have that 
mammalian nervous system as our cats and dogs do. I'm just choosing two that we know really well. They have a nervous system. We have a nervous system. We have many nervous systems. And so just to give you that quick description, we have a central nervous system and a peripheral nervous system. And a central nervous system is the brain spinal cord. So everything that's central to the midline of the body, the peripheral nervous system is how it sounds. If you think about peripheral vision, I'm, we're doing this on video so I can see you right in front of me, but I can tell that my kitchen's there and my fireplace is there and there's things around me. So the peripheral nervous system, those are all the nerves that come out of the central nervous system. And I am interested in working with the peripheral nervous system. And then if we go one step further, there are two types of peripheral nervous systems. One is the autonomic nervous system, and the other would be classified as the motor somatosensory nervous system. So I'll describe what those are in a second. So those two interact to influence, obviously, the central nervous system and the central nervous system influences the peripheral. Most people have heard of the term fight flight. I'm sure you've heard fight flight response, survival response. Yes. That's part of the autonomic nervous system. Funny story, actually, we're on Zoom right now. And when you press record, there's now a person that says your meeting is being recorded. I didn't know that had been installed on the Zoom platform. It's so funny. I was teaching a class in my groups last week or two weeks ago, and I went to press record and voice came up and it physically startled me because I wasn't expecting it. And I had a little jump. That is my autonomic nervous system having a little fight flight reaction because it wasn't expecting. So fight flight isn't always big, scary event. It can be little things like that. But it can also be the classic one is something's chasing you. People usually say a tiger, which is so not common in our culture. But here in Canada, we were in the woods and be a bear or a mountain lion. But this idea of something dangerous is chasing you or attacking you, you go into fight, flight mode, you run, you get away. The one thing that is becoming more talked about, thankfully, but wasn't even a few years ago, is freeze response. Is if we can't run away from that tiger or that air or our abuser or the person screaming at us and we have to stay in that environment that is harmful, if we can't fight and if we can't flee, the next thing that our autonomic system goes into is freeze. It shuts down. It preserves life. goes into hibernation mode. And this is what, if we think of bears, they hibernate in the winter. They actually use that part of their nervous system to preserve energy go into like neutral we think of the gearbox of a car you burn less fuel when you're in neutral even though the engine's on and so the autonomic nervous system which part of the peripheral is fight flight freeze we need these fight flight freeze mechanisms the other thing the autonomic nervous system governs is our digestion and our immune system and our hormonal response and our temperature regulation our reproductive system our ability to see and connect to the world around us, 
obviously I'm looking at you. If I make a big smile, you immediately smile, right? That's not, I didn't, we didn't plan that before the call. That is an autonomic social engagement nervous system quality. So the ANS, the autonomic nervous system, governs so much. It pretty much governs our entire behavior. It even governs how our brain works. So it influences that central nervous system. And then just a quick little piece, the other part of the peripheral nervous system. Uh, I have a cup of water here next to me. If I lift it up, my brain, my system is telling my muscles contract these things to lift this up to my mouth to drink. That's requiring sensation, motor action. If my hand was numb and I couldn't feel, I wouldn't be able to do that. If you've ever had a dental procedure, a filling and you get the freezing in your mouth and you try to drink and it like drools out and it's because you can't feel what's happening. And so our peripheral nervous system, it, it governs so much. I got into this work because I was working in the field of health and fitness and movement rehabilitation. So I was helping people with injuries, recovered from all sorts of things. And it was very clear one summer back in 2008 in Whistler when I was living there that I was seeing clients where even though I had done some sophisticated form of training, to rehab and teach people how to build their bodies back up. There were some people that just weren't getting helped. And I wasn't being negligent. I was doing what I had been trained to do and what was working for what had worked for me after my injuries and other people. And I was like, what am I missing? And that's when I started to look into this whole nervous system autonomic thing. And then one thing led to another and here we are. So you totally got me into what we're going to talk about next, which is the realization you had and the big difference between the patients who were able to recover versus the patients who weren't able to recover mm. was the emotional piece, the programming their trauma and something emotionally blocking their nervous system. They were stuck in that, the functional freeze and yeah. they couldn't heal. They couldn't get past that, whatever their rehab was doing, the physical therapy. I'll go a little further into that. Interestingly enough, it's not the emotions. So the emotions are a part of it, but the survival physiology, so that fight, flight, and freeze, they will, one of my favorite teachers, her name is Kathy Kane, she'll basically say, and it's a common knowledge thing, Biology drives behavior, but it also drives emotions. So if we're trapped in a freeze response, if we're shut down, not feeling, thinking there's a tiger always beside us and we can't let our guard down, then the emotions, which are visceral, this is a, one of the common things that people don't um, understand, and it's no one's fault because we just haven't gotten here yet in humanity, but emotions come from the viscera, from the body. We interpret them in the brain, but they come from internal. That's why I will say things like I'm boiling mad or I have butterflies, I'm nervous in my stomach, or I have a frog in my throat. 
We have these things that we say that tip you off. These emotions are actually in our body, in our viscera. And so when we're trapped in survival mode, all the system, all the autonomic nervous system is interested in is surviving. And when it's surviving, it has no interest in emotional nuance. It has no interest in making sure the nutrients that we're eating in our food that are getting properly distributed throughout our body, all those sorts of things. But you are right. The clients I was, I was seeing, they didn't even know, Francesca, that they were trapped in a survival response. Because when you're in it, it's about saying, if you put a frog in a pot of water, that's cold and you slowly warm it up it doesn't know that it's about to be cooked but if you throw it into a a terrible image but if you throw it into a boiling pot of water it jumps right out because it's so drastically different the folks i was seeing who weren't getting better many of them had their systems locked in survival from a very warm age and it just became their conditioning it was how you mentioned beginning how they were programmed and what's interesting about humans is we have the capacity to be programmed like other animals to be conditioned but it doesn't work so well because we have this thing called a brain (laughs) a memory and our brains are like nothing else on this planet and we still don't understand how they work it's insane we think we do but i beg to differ And so we've also got this higher brain that actually can keep us from feeling when we know, when we don't even know that the feelings are there. So it's an interesting thing to think about what was happening with those clients. Why were they not getting better in their bodies? And I was working at a level that was, this is going to sound weird, but too high, too advanced for them. They needed to learn the basics that many of them didn't get when they were infants. Okay, let's break this down. Yeah. Give me some examples of how this practically applies. I heard you speak about the parent or whoever's the guardian around at the time of the trauma when it happens, when if they respond correctly and allow for you to grieve, express what you're feeling before you start worrying about how they feel to calm them down and thereby suppressing how you feel. So I'm assuming I didn't have that because obviously if I'm falling, I'll put my hands out <laughs> and yeah. my reflexes are there. But I'm more interested in the more subtle mm-hmm. physical things, not being able to sleep well or digestive stuff, maybe with weight gain and this the the things that are physical, but much more subtle. They don't affect us in a very day-to-day big way when it comes to like surgery or something that's broken okay. okay perfect yeah it's an interesting piece if we think about something like sleep or digestion those things are governed by that autonomic nervous system it's that internal mechanism that puts the gears of your body in motion one of the things that we'll have to talk about first is when we're born so when a new human comes out of mom, they are not fully regulated in their autonomic nervous system. Parts are, let's just imagine it's a full-term infant. 
the lungs are working, the heart's working, everything is working. What they don't have is the ability to just get up onto their two feet and start walking like other animals in the wild do. They are pretty immature. They're emotionally immature. They have, we think about that autonomic nervous system I was talking about. What I didn't mention is there's also two more branches to the autonomic nervous system. One is the sympathetic, that's the fight, flight, sympathetic nervous system. The other branch is the parasympathetic nervous system. Now, the parasympathetic nervous system is the, they're both complex, but that one is really complex. And that when we're born, only a portion of that is fully functional. And it's the portion that puts us into breathe. So when we come out, we are really good at sensing fear, sensing danger, and shutting down. And an infant will shut down when their needs are not being met, when they're not being, it's called attuned to and properly attached to. And here's where it gets a little dicey is the ability for the mother, father, caregiver to attune and listen to that little immature baby will be determined by how well they were attuned to when they were babies. And so the story goes, and this is why we say it runs family. So it's genetic, but it's also something called epigenetic. It's something based on how we were treated. And so baby comes out, if she cries, she needs to be attended to. If he is looking, something's not right, maybe flush in the face or a funny look on the face, we want the caregiver to go and be like, what's going on? And you learn by watching and listening and feeling with your own body as the adult what that little one needs. But if you think about it, if we've been shut down as adults because of our own early traumas and such and not be able to feel, we won't be able to sense what that infant needs. And so it occurs, I'll give you the good scenario. The good scenario is Attunement happens, needs are met, baby is fully attended to. With that, we call it co-regulation. The little one is learning how to soothe their, their fears, their internal pieces. And one of the classic things that happened in my generation, maybe your generation, definitely our parents' generation, at least in more westernized cultures, is letting babies cry themselves to sleep. And the trouble with that is that at that young age, they actually don't know how to soothe themselves. So if they're feeling distressed, scared, hungry, cold, hot, they cry, they're needing something. If no one comes, their little nervous systems start to default into that shutdown response. It freezes and it collapses. What happens when that occurs at such a young age is the system is living in survival. Does that make sense? <laughs> You're just shutting all my coping mechanisms. Oh, mom. Sorry. But it, the little one goes into survival. There's two types of survival. One is feeling the intensity of their sympathetic, red in the face, wailing. And then the system just like a thermostatic switch, it just shuts off. And so they 
fall asleep, but they fall asleep with hyper arousal running through their veins. The other is they shut off, but they shard and they collapse. They become limp and listless. And there's so many examples of this in history where babies don't get their, they fail to thrive. You hear that a lot. And so what's interesting is that this is very common. And so the, the moms that have maybe done this, it's okay. It's, that's okay. And it's important with those children as children, as teenagers, to help them learn how to feel and be okay with their emotions. What often occurs as an adult, you'll hear adults say, I just had this panic attack come for no reason. Like it made no sense. I'm actually in a safe home. I have a safe partner. We've got plenty of food in the fridge and it's all that stuff. And all of a sudden my heart just starts feeding for no reason. And I feel afraid and frightened. And there's no meaning. There's no memory. Those are the ways that our system processes those early, from what we've seen, those early, we will call them traumas, lack of that connection regulation. And so then as adults, we feel these spikes and dysregulation that seem totally not normal. And then what often occurs, and I'm being very general here, as a person feels this, they go to the doctor, they get medicated. When really this is a somatic physiological event that's really just wanting to be listened to. Because when we were really little, we didn't have that attunement and that connection. So if I back up, when we have that attunement connection, our parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous systems, they know how to sync with each other. They have a nice flow. But when there's a lot of this shutdown or a lot of this fight flight energy, and if it continues into childhood, for example, like the kid falls off the bike and they're not allowed to process their crying, they're told to get up right away, be a big girl, be a big boy, you're fine. That teaches them to, again, not listen to their bodies. And they really believe it because the caregiver, usually it's mom, usually it's dad, they are the big person and the little person doesn't know any different. And so when the little person starts to get that cognition on board, they get wired, they get programmed to be like, oh, well, I guess pain isn't good, so I better stop feeling it. And then it perpetuates. But what occurs is that it's not just the sensation and the emotion, it's the fight, flight, freeze, chemical physiology that's trapped in the system. I'm getting to your question now. When that autonomic nervous system, fight, flight, freeze, is trapped in the system for that length of time, A, the person doesn't know it. It's like that frog in the pond water thing. They just assume that troubled sleep is normal. They assume that chronic constipation or diarrhea is normal. All these things. But what we now know through a few research studies, not just a few, quite a few, when there is early stress in infancy and childhood, it is very much connected to adults, autoimmune, heart disease, cancer, 
addiction, all the lovely things that human beings tend to deal with. And we think it's just what happens to humans. But really, when we look at this research, it's very much connected to these early, I don't even like to call them traumas. They're early dysregulations. Yeah. And well, um, yeah, you're smiling. I'm saying now that you told us all the millions of ways that mothers and fathers and caregivers can mess up or program yep. children or teachers mm. can program children yeah. in the wrong way that will cause cancer <laughs> and sleep <laughs> deprivation and anxiety. Yeah. How do you create healthy patterns and regulation? Yeah. So it depends on where that person is in their life. So let's just say that someone's listening to this and they still have children. They still have infants. Maybe they even have teenagers, but let's just say children. Don't underestimate the power of learning more about the nervous system, which is obviously what I do in my work, and working on your own stuff. And by that, your own traumas, your own emotional things. One of the emotions that is often not talked about, but is so important, is anger. Being able to let out healthy aggression and anger. We, in the meditation, mind, body, spiritual world, have said, don't be angry, only be kind. And, and yes, I agree with that. But because we have animal physiology, we need to express the fight light because, and have you ever come across Gabor Maté's work? Okay. He wrote a brilliant book called When the Body Says No. He was a palliative care doctor for the longest time, also works in addiction. And he saw the connection also between health, aggression, and anger, and autoimmune illness and cancers. We need to start to work on our own bodies. And with the physical, the mental, but also getting to know our fight, flight, freeze, and being able to, to learn to apprentice is how I like to say it, to feel the little things that happen internally that tell us, we have to use our entire brain with this, but tell us, oh gosh, I think I'm, I think I'm shutting down. I can feel myself numbing out. I can feel myself disengaging from my partner, for example. This is a sign of me going into shutdown, which maybe was my pattern as a child because mom and dad didn't know how to listen to me. So I just became an introvert, for example. So as the parent, really learn how to listen to your body. And from what I've heard from my students, the mom and dad can listen to their systems and work with their old stored stressors, fight, flight, freeze pieces. They naturally intuitively can listen and honor and respect their children's fight, flight, freeze physiology. When we can look at a little one from that lens of fight, flight, freeze and the connection that they need to feel safe, things just roll a lot easier. So the first answer to your question is to that for the parents, work on your own pieces. We have so many moms and dads, and of course they want to help their kids. They're anxious, they're sick, they're worried, they have conditions, and they ask, can they work with you, Irene? Can they go through your program? And I'm like, 
are they an adult yet? And if not, you're the one that has to do the work because you being more regulated influence them by default. If it's an older child, let's say they're teenagers, they're a little tricky. And this might seem like a joke, but it's not. If you know that you maybe raised that teenager in a way that didn't give them the opportunity to feel themselves and express themselves. With teenagers, I find that they don't want to be told what to do. And that's what they're supposed to do at that age. They're looking for their autonomy. They're gaining independence. That's why you see teenagers rebel. Typically, at the teenage years, they're finding their own way. And usually, the moment you ask them to look at something or let's try this or let's go to a therapist, they push back. And the moment you put them in a corner and they bring their defenses up, it's not going to work because now they're in even more survival mode. And so my husband and I, he's also trained in the work they do. We say to our clients, um, start a therapy fund. How people start a university fund for their kid. Start saving some money so that when your teen is in their 20s and let's just say they come to you and they're like, I'm really struggling with this. We as the parent can say, okay, let me support you. Let's find you some help. Now that's a perfect scenario. I know it's not always going to be that way, but that's our suggestions. And let's just say you have adult children because many of my clients have adult children. It still comes down to working on your own stuff. You can give your adult children this information saying, hey, I'm really sorry. I didn't realize that this was harmful to you as a little person. I'm just acknowledging it. I'm working on it. And maybe check out this work. And then, of course, they're an adult. They have to make their own decisions. But when you can connect it with, I have recently heard that gut problems or hormonal problems or sleep issues can be linked to this autonomic nervous system thing. You might want to have a look. And it's about having open communication and not pointing fingers so much, but also the parents taking responsibility for, yeah, maybe they did something wrong and that's okay. Parents are always going to do something wrong because yeah. <laughs> they're on call 24-7. <laughs> they are. I would say, I had a friend ages ago say when she had her babies, because they were twins, <laughs> she would say, I know I'm going to screw them up. I'm going to screw them up somehow. And I said, but you don't have to. Because <laughs> we know through the research what a human needs when they're young. If we think about animals in the wild, I love to use the animal example. I mentioned bears. You have bears in Canada. You guys have bears in the United States. There's bears in Russia, China. The way a mother treats her cubs is exactly the same here across the border in Russia and China. They protect them. They feed them. They keep them safe. If a predator comes in, they're going to fight them. They'll never leave their cubs to sleep by themselves unattended for long periods of time. And when they're hungry, they immediately feed. And then when they get older, they learn right from wrong and all the things. And with humans, because of our culture and rules and different ways of seeing things and all the books that have been written, we don't have a common ground 
on how to treat an infant. And yet they need the same things, safety, protection, food, and they need to learn how to regulate their nervous system. And so if I go back to that element of, let's just say you're an adult and you're like, wow, these are some of the troubles I'm experiencing as an adult. I think this might have happened. I don't think I was listened to. I wasn't allowed to cry. If I got angry, I was sent to my room. If I didn't get good grades in school, I was punished. If I was creative, I was told to shut down, to be quiet. These things, these, you're an artist, you understand the expression in us as humans. But if that's shut down, that shut down our nervous system, we go into that freeze. And so when adults are hearing this, and if there's this little inkling of, I wonder if that was me, chances are it probably was. Because I have yet to meet one person <laughs> on this planet who hasn't experienced something like that. And for well-meaning parents. That is a very important thing to understand is that we can change this as adults. We can rewire. We can reprogram. But what we really want to do is we want to gain more regulation so that we're not instilling more programming for wanting to bring that organic health back to the system. Definitely. So I'd like to just recap here and say one of the ways is do your best, learn, do research, maybe work with someone like Irene to help you with your programming so you can activate that in your child or children. And then the other thing is maybe as humans, we do, we are different in the fact that a lot of the stuff has to happen from a place of healing. Kids have to learn how to sleep at some point and every child has a different personality and every parent is not an expert in every personality. First, you have to meet who the kid is. But by the time you meet them, you've already sleep trained them or whatever else they they had to deal with. Every child comes with their million detailed specific needs that you have to you have to just discover. And mm-hmm. it's probably going to be a messy experience. It's not OK, just do this, do this, and then it will come out perfect. It's more of this is what we do. And then as adults, this is how we deal or heal or reprogram. A hundred percent. You reminded me one of the common things that I teach my students when I work with them is to follow their biological impulses. And so this is something that anyone can start to do because you're right. When a little person comes out, they're all a little different. It's Again, it's it. This is where it's not like the animals in the wild. However, if you've ever had a litter of kittens or puppies, some of them are a little different. Some are a bit more rambunctious, and some just want to sleep. And so that's also the case there. But it's how can we listen to our physiology and give it what it wants? And from what I've learned through talking to hundreds of people, thousands of people over the years, is that. A lot of us don't know how to listen to the basics. So a common one, at least in worlds where people are really busy, they'll hold in their bladder for like hours and they know they have to go to the bathroom and they'll feel it and they'll be like, oh, I got to go. And there's a toilet right there. But what's not allowing that human, what is allowing them to override their physiology? Because a baby isn't going to override their physiology and if you've ever been to a dairy farm, cows don't 
hold it in. They just let everything out when they need to. So as simple as that might sound, if you can start to listen to those cues internally and act on them, even having a drink of water when your throat is thirsty, when you're hungry, eat. When you're not hungry, don't eat. That's a whole other conversation in itself, right? Food is often how we condition children. And that has terrible consequences when we fry food. You're tired. How many times when people are tired, they just push through with more coffee, more sugar. And sometimes maybe you have to do that to get some stuff done. Parents know that they have to sometimes push through. And yes, that sometimes has to happen. But to shift the gear a little bit, to listen to this biology that maybe wasn't listened to when we were really young. And I've worked with adults who have horrific shame around soiling their pants when they're at school, wetting their pants because they weren't allowed to go to the toilet when they asked the teacher. And they were even punished then after soiling their pants. And as simple as that sounds, it sets a tone in that little person's physiology to be confused about their biology and their needs. And then that trickles out into knowing how to ask for help, but also saying no and no. setting boundaries, yeah. which is super important. So okay. that's a little tip. Listen to when you need to go to the bathroom. Believe me, it works. And the reason I say that, it seems comical, but let's just say there is a really big trauma sitting in the system. Maybe it is an accident. Maybe you really were neglected seriously with the kiddo. Maybe it was an attack or a sexual abuse or something like that. That stuff's stored in the somatic body. It can store in the nervous system, in the endocrine system, in the immune system. Everyone wants to get rid of their traumas really fast, and I don't blame them. But we can't force this stuff out of the body. And so one of the ways in is to listen to these little biological cues. And when the higher brain starts to acknowledge the biology goes, hey, holy cow, Irene's finally listening to me. She's giving me what I need when I want it. And that opens up capacity for these old emotions that are stored inside to start to bubble up. Mm -hmm. Hope that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. Cool. So I do have one last question before we wrap up. I like to go into the business side of things and talk to you a little bit as an entrepreneur. What would you say your biggest challenge is or was in terms of switching gears from academia and science into entrepreneurship hat? There's two tiers to it. I was in private practice. I'm not anymore. And so that is like easier. Because you show up, you see your clients, you go home, the day's done. Now I'm working with multiple courses, content. And so I would say the challenge, not the challenge, it's a challenge, but the, the test, if you will, was how to go into that bigger field of doing more and A, not worrying about everything being perfect. I'm still figuring that one out. And B, trusting that, um, trusting that 
the work that you are doing and you want to do can still can survive and continue even when you're not there. I think with the social media world, there's this survival energy of more and more. And while I do put out a lot of content, it's important to see if your system is driving that from a place of survival. And a lot of people work from a place of survival because they've not known any other way. When you were in school, you crammed for the tests. You wait to the last minute to do your report. All these things. We've almost been trained to do that. So one of the hardest things I would say is training myself, teaching myself and my team to really work on this in a very regulated, structured way. So the energy going into the work isn't frantic, isn't survival-based. And while it's hard to put an objective measure on that, over time, over months, over years, what occurs is you don't burn out. And a lot of people burn out and they quit because they're on this survival wheel, hamster wheel, and they don't even know they're in it. It's, again, that frog in the pot of water. So you got to walk your walk, basically walk your top. And some people don't. And I think we're too early in this world of online, at least in my world, this online entrepreneurship to know who's going to survive. Because I'm already seeing some kind of fall a little bit. And so that's one thing. And then the other is to not be afraid to innovate. That's actually a huge one now that I think about it. When I started to bring my work online, I was told that I couldn't do that. Not by everyone, but as some people, like, there's no way you can do that online. Therapy, work like this has to be done in person, face-to-face, so that you can touch and work with people's bodies. And while I agree that is powerful work, I was at a position where I was in my private practice, Francisco, there are too many people that need to understand this information. It doesn't feel like my place to just do this for one hour with one person at a time. Everyone needs to understand this information. So I kind of branched and landed, let's try something different. And lo and behold, it worked. And now everyone's doing sessions online because we, and so there's a little part of me that feels a little vindicated. We could do it. And so I think that's it, is people have to trust their gut. And this goes back to listening to their, literally listening to their guts. Because uh, if we can't do that, we will fall down the wrong road. We might make a choice based on what someone else thinks we should do, which comes back to our reconditional from our parents. You're supposed to do this when you grow up. What if I don't want to do that? And so that does play out in, I think, the entrepreneurial world too. So I hope that answers your question. That absolutely does. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. How can people get in touch with you or work with you? Yeah, so it's my name, IreneLyon.com. You go to my site, all the social media is there. I have hundreds of YouTube videos. Thank you so much, Irene. This was so great. You're welcome. It was great to meet you. Thank you so much for sticking around until the end. I really appreciate it. I'd love to wish you all a gmar chatimatova. I love hearing from you, so keep reaching out. What we are working on next. We have the kosher industry, restaurants, 
and why it's so much harder for kosher restaurants. We have the hair covering episode, a from sex ed panel, and I'd love to do a debate with medical experts about masking children and teachers in a world where the vaccine is readily available. Please reach out if you like to volunteer or to introduce me to someone who would be great for the show. And if you have an interesting story you'd like to share that brings out challenges in our community, my WhatsApp number is in the show notes. Don't be shy. Thanks for referring clients to my podcast production and consulting business. This is how you support the show and help us make an impact. Also, make sure to check out the other amazing podcasts on jewishcoffeehouse.com. I'm Francisca. You're listening to the Francisca Show podcast and tune in with us next week. <music>